Hey, welcome to church this morning. My name is Dan. If we haven't met yet, it is so good to, uh, well, kind of get to know each other from here. Hopefully, we get a chance to have a coffee afterward in our cafe. Free coffee, free lunch for you guys if it's your first time here. And that's our way of saying uh, you are loved and we love having you here. And we are really just kind of getting this momentum now in the year. It's so exciting that uh, I, I just love this time of year. I was talking with Branson before, just like, I love this time of year because January we kind of take a break. There's no PM service, there's no prayer meetings, there's no sozo groups, and we just, you know, rebuild as a church, look at it as a team, what the year ahead looks like, and then in Feb we launch, and so we launched our PM service Feb 2nd, we did uh, Focus Sunday last Sunday, and now it's just like, let's keep going, and there's just a joy in the air in summer. Everyone's happy, we're excited, God is good, and so we are launching a preaching series this morning called expecting God. I really want us to shift into this gear. I'd love us to stay there. But what I've noticed is it's so easy in life to go in and out of this gear. And this is one thing that we have to constantly be reminding ourselves and constantly pushing back into this zone of what are you not only believing God for this year, but what are you expecting God to do in your life this year, today, this week, Right now, what are you expecting of God? Why can you expect things of God? Do we have any grounds to expect anything of God? And let's do this together, this, this six weeks. I'm really excited about this. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it today's sermon. Well, Lord, we love you so much. And God, I thank you so much that you will help us constantly wrestle with that balance of never um, seeing our role as forcing you to do something that you don't want to do and is not in your will and is not in your plan. But at the same time, we want to step out of the boat. We want to expect miracles. We want to expect salvations. We want to expect things that are in your nature and in your desires as well. That, God, we would live by faith. And, and, and Lord, as we live by this faith, that we will see your hand move in our church, in our community, in our families. And you will get all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Expecting God, expecting God. I kind of want to do a blanket one today, just on the, the ability and the power of what it looks like to expect from God. I remember uh, back in, when I was in grade seven at school, you know, I was, uh, we, we, were, we had a formal coming up, and there was a particular girl that, you know, got, got my fancy. I quite liked her. We were friends, but... You know, there was, there was a little bit more to it than that. There was something in the air. And so, you know, I remember just more and more and more at lunchtime, we were spending time together and, you know, those, those cute little things as you do in, in school. And speaking of cute little uh, things and cute little people, I shouldn't say little because he's taller than me. Dan Bolson, where are you? It is so good to have you home from Norway, brother. Come on. Flippin' love Dan Bolson. He is, uh, you were there for like five months, I think, if, I, if my math is right in my head, and you were missed. Dan's been here most of his life, and we love you, buddy. Good to have that smile back here. Uh, but yeah, anyway, back to this, this story. So this girl and I, we started hanging out more and more and more, and, and I remember asking her to the grade seven formal, and, and obviously she was just, you know, smitten, and so she said, absolutely, Dan. And, and we went, and, you know, uh, I remember borrowing, like, my, um, my great uncle, had just passed away, but and he was short, and so I was in grade seven, and so I'm like in all of his old 
smelly clothes, but like button up and a vest and a tie. And I'm like looking, looking the part. And we had this, you know, it was awesome. The formal was fantastic. And we're there with my, my other friend, good friend and his partner and, you know, formal partner, not really like life partner, you know, you're, you know when you're 11, we're not going to call him life partner. Okay. So, and, and we're there and like, this is an awesome night. It's fantastic. And anyway, after the night, um, I was going to PBC and the other three of them were going to Eleanor High School. And I remember clearly that my friend uh, was like, man, we should, we should do like a, a date, like a double date. We should go to the movies and like, we'll go see something cool and get we'll get popcorn, we'll like hang out, we'll take the girls with us. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's like do a double date. And I'm like just hitting that zone of like puberty and like girls, suddenly cooties is gone and like they're amazing. I'm like, yeah, like let's, let's do this double date. And I clearly remember, I clearly remember just before this date, like starting to just completely overthink it. Like, wait, she probably doesn't even like me anymore. She's going to be going to Eleanor High School. I'm going to PBC. She doesn't want anything to do with me. And I just started overthinking this so bad to the point that we, we, this date happens. We're at the movies and I'm like, I don't even think she likes me anymore. And I don't even think she's going to be interested in other guys now. And she's just going to break my heart anyway. What should I be doing? And I start acting just completely differently. I, I just like, I, to the point my friend is like, dude, what's wrong with you? Like, you're being really weird. It's true story. He's like, you're being really weird right now. And I'm like, I don't even know why I should be here, man. Like, should I just go home? I might just get on a bus and go home. Like, I don't even know why I should be here. And, and I start acting so weird that that was the last time we hung out. <laughs> I found out a month later that my friend actually started dating her. And they dated for the next year. And I had to love her. I was like, man, I was in. Like, I was in with her. Like, I'd done all the groundwork. Like, I, I was, that was a sure thing, that relationship. But when I started to overthink things, then my new perspective on that situation led to me being really weird at the zone, which led to the situation coming true that I thought would come true before when I started being all weird and wrong. But I was like, maybe she's not even into me. Maybe she's into other guys. Well, guess what? That came true because of how I was viewing it before I even got there. So my evaluation led to my expectation of the hangout, which led to the exact situation that I was expecting to happen. My evaluation of what was going to happen, what could happen, led to my expectation of what she's going to do, which led to the situation of what actually happened. I want to, I want to speak about, uh, the, in the Gospel of Mark, I just want to compare two chapters today, and I want, to, I want to bring us on this journey together. We're going to read a bunch of scripture. We're going to read a chapter and a half together. And uh, if you come here often, we don't often do that much of reading today. So just bear with me. If you're new to Christianity, we don't often spend the next 45 minutes just reading scripture. And so we're going to read all, if you're taking notes, all of Mark chapter 5. And we're going to read the start of Mark chapter 6. And what I really, really hope you see is something that will help you when you're reading Scripture at home. I want you to engage with the author, Mark, John Mark, who wrote this. Uh, the author of Mark, he, he didn't do chapter 5, verse 1, verse 2. He just wrote it, right? He just wrote it. The numbers were added later. And so let's just read it like it was originally written. And let's see if we can learn a lesson about expecting from God. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, 
And so they, Jesus and his disciples, arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. Now catch this. This is the background on this guy. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. So let's just stop for a second. There's real demonic force at work in this guy. And there's real supernatural power at work in this man. So much so that no people, it says no one was strong enough to subdue him. Like he's stronger than a normal man because of the demonic realm that's going on. Because of the demonic influence that's going on. He could break chains for crying out loud people. Like this, this is real, okay? I want you to see that this isn't just like an ordinary guy. He's stronger than any man. He has more physical, you know, intimidation and strength. No one can subdue him. Verse 5, day and night he wandered around the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Let's see the difference here. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, bowed low before him. The New King James will actually say, and worshipped him. Verse 7, with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you. I want you to catch some of the language used here. Catch some of the the actions and the words and the, the, the position he's taking on. I beg you... Don't torture me. This is a guy speaking who's stronger than ever in the whole town. He's breaking chains off. And look at the the fear. Look at the respect. Look at how he views Jesus. Next verse. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus demanded. I like, I like when Jesus, Jesus, Jesus isn't always that soft Jesus we see him as. You know what I mean? Jesus is. He knows who he is. He's got all authority. He's the uncreated. And so Jesus demanded, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits, once again, begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Well, send us into the pigs. The spirits, catch it again, begged Let us enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission. Are you catching the language all through this chapter? The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. The entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town. Like that would have been a weird sight, right? Like this is crazy. What's going on? This is crazy. What's going on here? And the herdsmen fled to a nearby town surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. Next verse, thank you. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane. They were afraid. And then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading 
with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Such a weird verse. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done and how merciful he has been. So the man started to visit the ten towns. I love that. In the New King James, it's called Decapolis, Deca, ten, Polis is Greek for, ten, uh, for city. And so he goes to this place, just spreading to ten towns, spreading the gospel about the authority and power of Jesus Christ. What a, what a magnificent moment. And the region, they began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Jesus got in the boat again, and then he went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Next bit, thank you so much. Then a leader of the local synagogue, not just a member of the town, the leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, he arrived. And when he saw Jesus, catch this again, he fell at his feet. Verse 23, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and all over the years she'd spent everything and she had to pay them, but she had only got, she'd gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, catch this, there's something big here. If I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Now, reported in Mark, this has never even happened. This has never even been taught by Jesus. He's never taught once, if you touch my robe, you'll be healed of anything. And we've never seen it. She had faith in what hadn't happened yet. That was how how big her Jesus was. He was a big Jesus. He could do things, not only what I've read and heard about, he can do whatever the heck he wants. Even messes with my Christology, even what seems like he doesn't intend. If I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately. I like that. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of a terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling, you see all these words, frightened, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. He said to her, daughter, I like that word. If you look it up in Greek, it's like this intimate, personal daughter. That's a great relationship through faith. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. What a declaration. While he was still speaking to her, messages arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. And they told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go in except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. There's something big about that. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much of the commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowds laughed at him, but he made them all leave. Jesus made them all leave. 
He took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Mark chapter 6. Jesus left that part of the country and he returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And then verse 3. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon. And his sisters, they live right here among us. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except the, to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. Do you see the contrast there? Do you see a massive difference there? Once again, as Mark is writing this, he's not stopping at verse 6 and then just like spending all this time and then going into some other story, you know, months and months later. Like he's just writing and writing. And this just flows from one to the other. This stark contrast. And here's the thing that I really, really, really want us to catch this morning. If you forget everything, please catch this one point. Jesus doesn't change from Mark 5 to Mark 6. If you forget everything, just write that down and go home and think about it. The God of Mark 5 is the same God as the God of Mark 6. Yet the outcomes couldn't be any more different. I would like to propose to you, because of how they view Jesus... And what they expected from him. Their evaluation led to their expectation when they were with him. Which led to their exact situation. Here's a scarier thing. Here's a scarier thing. Both people were right. <laughs> That's Mark 5. Jesus can do anything. So Jesus did anything. Mark 6. Jesus can't do everything. So Jesus didn't do many mighty signs and miracles. <laughs> it should scare us that they were both right. And it should scare you and I that your current thinking right now about what God can do and can't do in your world is correct. Because we don't take enough onus on our walk with God sometimes. Sometimes we're like, oh, God did this again. I mean, I know he's a good God, but he's not like a nice God. He's not great, you know what I mean? We're not expecting miracles. We're not expecting healing. We're not expecting restoration. We're not expecting breakthrough. We're not expecting salvation. We're not expecting revelation. We're not expecting some kind of shift or change. We're not expecting it. And so guess what? It, sometimes it doesn't happen. There are very, very, very few times in Scripture we see miracles happen completely against what the people were expecting. A lot of the time, it can happen, 
like Saul's conversion, like John chapter 5, when the person's like, I don't even have, the invalid was like, I don't have anyone to put me in the well when the angel stirs it up and completely healed right then. Most other times, it's according to their expectation. And so this next few weeks, as we go through expecting God, I I want us to shift in how we view God. I want us to shift in how we view church. I want us to shift in how we view community. When the Word of God says we're two or three gathered, there I am in the midst. Do you expect God to be here in the midst? Or are you going Sunday morning, I'll go to church, I'll tick my religious moral box, and God is happy with me. You can do that if you want, but there's so much more. I don't believe God doesn't love you if you're thinking that way. I just think there's so much more on offer that you're saying no to. So let's have a look at this once again. I think we have those slides. Let's just look at, I just put up a snapshot. This is, this is the demon-possessed man. This is, this is Mark chapter 5. Like, once again, just look at the words. A demon-possessed man. He's, he's breaking shackles. He's breaking chains. He's smashing things. He's overpowering the strongest man in the town. Well, he comes and falls at Jesus' feet. Now, I, I would like to, you know, read a cartoon or see a picture of Jesus being like some world's strongest man, muscle builder kind of thing, and that's why he fell at his feet. But he was probably just a normal person, normal build carpenter. So it wasn't because Jesus was physically stronger than him. But when you get the authority of Jesus Christ, a demon-possessed man stronger than all the men in the town falls at his feet. He worshipped him. He implored him. He begged him earnestly. Uh, You need to get a picture of what the demonic realm is really like and what it's not like. Do you remember in Job where it says that Satan was, was looking over the earth and he came before God. He had to ask permission. Satan had to ask permission from God. And then God said, you can do this to Job, but you're not allowed to do this. Satan does not have free reign over your life. But God will allow certain things to make sure your faith isn't just like this fluffy, weak kind of faith. That's tough. Remember in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is, he's, he's, he seems happy, but it, it shouldn't be happy news to us. But he's like, hey, Peter, guess what? Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But re- be assured, brother, be assured. He's like, yes. You rebuked him. You said no. He's like, so I said yes. But... When you've fallen, when you've stumbled, and when you come back, I want you to strengthen the brothers. It's like, what? Why didn't you say no? Jesus, Satan asked, and God said, okay, because he wanted Peter's faith to be stronger than it was right now. (laughs) But you need to understand the demonic realm, what it does to the God, your father in heaven, the God you believe in, the God you serve. Satan has no free reign over your life. He hates you, but he has to bow down to your God. The God that lives in you. The God that is over you. The God that is in heaven. The God that is here right now. Satan bows down to him. He has to fall at his feet. He has to implore. He has to beg. If Satan views God that way, why don't we do it all the time? Where's our expectation of God? And look, Jesus gave permission, just like he did to Satan in some, in other parts of Scripture. Jesus denied the man following him. He sent him to 10 cities, 10 towns, Decapolis. And then we've got Jairus here. 
I like this, the next, Jairus and the woman. This is still in Mark 5. This is, so we see the spiritual realm when it ex- sees God correctly, bows down, implores him, can't do anything of itself. We see the rulers of the world. Jairus was a ruler, the synagogue. Look what he does, falls at his feet, plead fervently. He had to have great faith. He's like, if you just lay hands, there's going to be breakthrough here. See the faith going on in Mark chapter 5. See the woman. So we've got the the spiritual realm bows down to God. We've got rulers of this world bows down to God. We've even got the broken and poor of this world. She had no more money and she was sick. She was an outcast. A woman with an issue of blood. Well, she has great faith as well. She was so frightened. She came trembling. She fell to her knees in front of him. See how they view God. Do you see the only people rebuked in Mark chapter 5? Were the people who laughed at him when he said he could raise her from the dead. The people who did not have an expectation that Jesus could raise his little girl from the dead, he looks at them and he says, get out. Why? Because Jesus was creating a space filled with expectation. The three disciples had expectation. Jairus had expectation. He's like, everyone else, out. If you're here and you're not expecting something to happen, then you're not going to see something happen. So get out, is what Jesus said in this space. The woman is completely healed. This girl, it's amazing because he creates a space of expectation. God God wants his church to be expecting. As we said last uh, last week, we aren't chasing signs and wonders and miracles because they're the end goal. But I'm expecting God to do that because he's a loving father who likes giving good gifts to his kids and he's all about relationship. So I'm expecting this kind of breakthrough. I'm expecting this kind of healing because it's going to lead to relationship. See, the woman, she was healed and he looks at her and he says, daughter. The goal of the healing was relationship. Daughter, this intimate, personal there's relationship there. Yet now look at Mark chapter 6. His hometown. Where he... Where did, that's what, this is what they're saying. Where did he get all this wisdom? And the power to perform such miracles. So he actually has done some miracles there. It's not like he's walked in and just been some normal guy. He's like, hey, I'm God. He's done some miracles. Yet then they scoffed. And they limited Jesus to a carpenter's son. They went so far as to be deeply offended. And they refused to believe him. And so guess what? He could do no mighty work there. He marveled at their unbelief. He marveled. He's like, I've just done miracles. You've seen me lay hands on the sick and heal people. You've heard about stories of what I just did over there. And all because I'm a carpenter's son and you know my half-brothers and sisters? You're not going to expect anything from me? You're going to limit? Wow. And he marveled at their unbelief. And so here's the scary thing for you and I. If you've been in church long enough, because I don't want to put an exact time on it. It could be anything. might be two years, might be 10 years, might be 20 years. But if you've been in church long enough, suddenly you, you start to get familiar with our run sheet. And suddenly you're starting to get familiar with the leaders. And suddenly you start to get familiar with the songs. And start, you start to get familiar with how I preach. You start to get familiar with Pastor Eric and Christine who started our church. 
You start to get familiar with Pastors Chris and Kathy White, Pastor Graham and Wendy. Ah, familiar. We're just mates now. And the scripture says in 1 Timothy, familiarity breeds content. And the scary thing for you and I, that it's not a rebuke, it's a let's keep coming back to true north together, is we need to see what Jacob saw in Genesis 28. Katie, if I could get that verse up, please. Right at the end, I think I had it. There it is. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I've got to be honest, I just wasn't aware of it in January because I was going through other things. I wasn't aware of it last year because I was in that trial. Surely God's in this place. I just wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and he said, what an awesome place this is. Remember we spoke about last year, like the word awesome gets thrown around too much these days. But, you know, if we remember its original point of view, it's not like, ah, you opened the door for me. Awesome. Like, sick, the sun sun came out. That's awesome. Like, it's awe-inspired. You're full of awe. You're like, how awesome is this place? It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Here's my challenge and question to us here this morning. What if we attended Sunday morning with that? Oh, yeah, I know. I know Cor's leading worship. I've known him since I was born. I know Kel's on keys. I've known her since she was born. And, and I know hands up here, service hosting. And we're, we, we pretty much had a fight yesterday. We didn't, but like we had a fight. We, we're married. I don't think much of her, but uh, I, know, I know there's familiarity here. But this is the house of God. And I know this is an industrial building that we could all sell and go to another building together. But where the people of God are, it's the house of God. And when we talk about God, he's here. And when he rocks up, he has a purpose. He has a plan. He has an agenda. He has a will. And when we expect him to move church, guess what? He does. Last week, we spoke about our statement for the year. We pray to be empowered by his spirit. To take his love to our world. This week alone, this week alone, Hannah and I, I haven't even got all the testimonies. We didn't even put word out for testimonies. I've had three testimonies come back. Someone woke up Monday morning and they're like, I just feel with more confidence to pray. for some, uh, There's something I've been wanting, but I just didn't pray. I was like, oh God, it's up to you. So I started praying about it. That day they got an email from a very influential person in America answering their prayer, wanting to do something massive in their life. That day. Another member, the, the person in their family is going through a health crisis right now. And they were like, I just hadn't even prayed about it. Like, I haven't even thought to pray about it. So I prayed about it. This week, drastic improvement. Doctors are blown away. Like, things happen when you expect God to do things in your world. And nothing's going to happen this year if you expect God what does want to do anything. What you're expecting God to do in your life in 2020, at Christmas, I'm going to look at you and say, you're exactly right. And that should either fill you with such joy or such fear. You expect God to do nothing? Yeah, go for it. You expect God to move? You expect freedom? Do you expect breakthrough? Do you expect supernatural to happen here? Do you expect people to be saved, like born again, made alive, saved? We're going to see it. We're going to see it. What are we expecting God of? And so I know I slightly got... The slides mixed up there, Katie, but can we just put up, can we join the Mark 5? Can we be a Mark 5 kind of church? Look at, look, let's just 
put this up. If this is the house of God, if this is the supernatural place, these are the things I want us to do on a Sunday. This is how I want us to rock up. If this place is not just natural, if Sunday morning is not just natural, but it's supernatural, then what if we want to fall at his feet in worship? I know, I I might have sung the song before. I get it. But when I sing it, because I've read the Bible a hundred times too, but every time I read it, more comes out to me. And so when I sing, so love that you gave your son, I want to weep with joy. I want to fall at his feet in worship. I I want to worship him because he's worthy of being worshipped. I want to beg him. I want to see that he is so sovereign and he doesn't owe me a thing. He doesn't owe me a thing, so I'm begging him. I'm not telling him what to do like I'm on his level. I'm begging him, but I'm going to show great faith. I'm going to expect miracles. I'm going to expect breakthrough. And then, just like the demon-possessed guy, I want to be sent by God to proclaim what he's done. Imagine every Monday morning that you and I naturally would go back to work and they were like, what did you do on the weekend? And I get it. It, Like, if nothing happens on a Sunday, you, you don't think about telling them about church. Like, I get that. But imagine if we were seeing lit- like full-on healings taking place here. Imagine if we were seeing people just so broken and addicted and being just set free in a moment. And they're just coming back to a sane mind. And Imagine if we were seeing marriages restored where there was just animosity and anger. And Imagine if we were seeing like kids just who, who hated church, resenting it, coming back and lifting holy hands and worshipping God. I would naturally want to tell people Monday, Tuesday. I would be at the cafe and they're like, what did you do yesterday? I'm like, oh my and Lord, you should have seen it. Like I was at church and in the worship and it was crazy. There was healings going on. We're getting these reports back from doctors. It's amazing. I want that to be the outcome of every Sunday. Where I don't feel like I wake up tomorrow and I'm like, oh, I've got to go and tell someone. How was, how was your Sunday? Went to church. How was church? It was good. It was good. What was good about it? Oh, sure. Ben made an epic coffee. Um, um, uh, yeah, Virginia and Al did these potato things. It was great. It was awesome. Great people, lovely people. Safe, safe environment. It's awesome. It's awesome. You, should, you should come. You should. Do you want to come with me next Sunday? Like, like if that's the win, if we're celebrating that, like, okay. Scraping the barrel, but okay, like I get it. Like fair enough. You gotta gotta talk about something, but but imagine that. Imagine that though. Imagine a room full of people worshiping together corporately. Imagine a room full of people begging him and believing. Imagine a room full of people showing great faith. Imagine a room full of people wanting wanting like Paul, if we're gonna just follow Mark five, like wanting to actually leave this place to go to be with God. God actually would rather die. I would rather, that's how much you've done in my world. I want to be with you. And he says, no, go and tell people about me. I'm like, okay, sweet, that's also good. Imagine that, if we would expect from God. I'll finish with this. This year, I want us to push in and expect things. And once again, as I was praying at the start, we really have to fight to keep this, this position Right? So when we beg and can expect things from God, it's not like a spoiled child expecting him to do selfish things that we want done. Because as I spoke about last Sunday, remember James chapter 4, 2 to 3. You have not because you ask not. C3 Corumban, 
Like, that's huge. You don't have because you didn't ask me. That's this. It's expecting. And verse 3. But you ask and I don't give it to you because you only ask for selfish gain. And that's the balance we're going to fight to keep. Amen. So when I say I want to expect God for incredible things to happen this year, I'm not expecting him just to take away trials and take away tough days and take away anything that makes me push into him. But I am expecting supernatural things to happen. I do want to join Jacob and stand here and be like, this is none other than the house of God. And I wasn't even aware of it. I was so familiar with this place coming in week in, week out. I was so familiar with the structure and the layout and the run sheet and everything. I just wasn't expecting God to move. But now I see it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. Do we get that? Do we get, remember Moses in Exodus 3 when he stands in the presence of God at the burning bush and he's like, hey, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. He had to shift Moses' way of seeing what was happening. He's like, there's something supernatural happening now. Now, I'm not saying leave your shoes at the door, but I'm like, do you walk in here aware of what's going on to making this church how it is right now? Are you aware of Pastor Kathy and the team of 30 years of the depth of prayer that have gone on to just dig wells for you and I when we rock out week in, week out and we drink living water and we're like, that was easy. No, it wasn't. People for 30 years have been praying and expecting and believing and digging wells so that you, you and I could rock up and receive from God. But they're here. This is the house of God. This isn't just a building. Do you know how many people have sacrificed holidays and finances and things to make sure we have a building and you have a chair this morning? This is the house of God. This is a holy place. And I want us to shift our faith into a gear where we're expecting God to do something supernatural every Sunday.